Welcome to the 5G Techvitory podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds. So, let's switch some gears and let's talk about accessibility. Ability to use uh, services in our everyday lives. And there are people who not necessarily have an ability to do that. Almost one in five Europeans, including many older people and people who have a temporary impairment, suffer from a disability that hinders them from using different services, including digital ones. This puts a lot of people at disadvantage. But technology is the one which can enable those people use different kind of um, services and also participate in everyday life. And European Accessibility Act is also coming in place in 2025. So these are the topics uh, for the next panel, moderated by Will Townsend. And uh, the topic, the name is Accessibility as Responsibility and Opportunity for the Technology Sector. And we also have an interaction possible over here with interactive poll where you can answer the question. Are you aware of the contents of the European Accessibility Act, which is set to be placed by 2025? It's like you just listen very carefully and probably you will have answer yes <laughs> to that question. And also you can ask questions over there. There's going to be an opportunity for questions. So with further ado, all right. Bill, over to you. Thank you, Ernest. I appreciate that. Welcome, everyone, out there online and here today at 5G Tecretory. Um, I'm Will Townsend. I'm the Vice President and Principal Analyst for Networking and Security at More Insights and Strategy. Um, we're a firm based in the United States. And uh, this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. I actually have a nephew and a godson um, that have disabilities. And we often focus on the digital divide, connecting the unconnected. And that's a global phenomenon. Um, it's actually the subject of a book that I'm, that I'm currently writing called The Human Network. But we're going to talk today about digital accessibility. And, um, and with that, before we get started, I'd like to introduce our panelists. Um, I'm an American. I don't want to butcher their names. So we have Michalis from Microsoft joining online. Michalis, are you out there? Yes, um, and I'm really missing uh, being physically there with you, team. Uh, but uh, thankfully, that due to technology, where I can listen, I can hear, and definitely I can interact with you. So uh, I'm Michalis Moskos. I'm um, part of the Microsoft Certran Eastern Europe team. Um, I'm responsible for global partner solutions. And as part of my role, I'm also leading the accessibility community in uh, Central Eastern Europe for Microsoft. Happy to be here and discussing this uh, topic, which is so dear to my heart. Thank you, thank you, Kaspers. Let's uh, let's go to you. So my name is Kaspers, and I am business development director at Tilde. Uh, uh, Tilde is a language technology company, and uh, I do consider myself a language technology or AI-enabled language technology evangelist. And as of my past, I've spent more than uh, 25 years in HR and. Uh, uh, accessibility, of course, a human side of accessibility was part of my responsibilities over that time. So, very, very uh, important topic in my life. Welcome, welcome, Pauls. Hello, I'm Pauls Putitis. I'm uh, representing here Ministry of Environmental Protection and Regional uh, Development uh, of Republic of Latvia. And 
a ministry monitors the accessibility of the websites uh, of the state institutions and provides methodological support. That's what we do. Welcome. And last but not least, Alina. Welcome. Yeah, hello everyone. I am Alina from the Ministry of Welfare, in other words, Ministry of Social Affairs. This is the ministry responsible for disability policy in Latvia, and we are also the gov uh, governmental coordination body for the UN Convention implementation in Latvia. And recently we have been the ones coordinating the new law for the transposition of the directive. Welcome. Well, let's jump right into it. So I think to kind of level set, it's important to define what we mean by digital accessibility. And Michaelis, I know that Microsoft recently um, filmed a video or put a video together that sort of addresses this, and we'd like to play that to, uh, to start the conversation. Technology can make things easier, but it can also make things possible. More than one billion people have a disability around the world. And while some disabilities are visibly apparent, others are not. Today, many report experiencing mental health conditions for the first time. The truth is, most of us will experience disability at some point in our lives, temporarily or permanently. Still, people with disabilities face higher unemployment rates, more than twice that of people without. And only one in 10 have access to the assistive devices they need to be active in their communities. The COVID-19 pandemic has only exacerbated this disability divide, with many experiencing symptoms that are lasting for weeks or months after diagnosis. That's really compelling. I mean, I think that does a really great job of really sort of setting the context for um, the disability divide. And Michaelis, I'd like to start with you and then we'll, we'll move to the other panelists. But I'd like to hear from your perspective how you define digital accessibility and what are some of the key challenges that you're trying to solve at Microsoft? Super, Th thank you very much, Will. Look, look, digital accessibility, if I want to put it in one word, is the way that digital technologies and products are designed and developed to be accessible to all users. As simple as that, I would say. Mm -hmm. Now, we need to empower people to live a, a fuller life, to be included as equal members of the community. And on that front, I would say I would see two main challenges. The first one is to drive uh, awareness on accessibility, what it is, but also the responsibility we have and equally the opportunity it carries. When I heard for the first time that 20% of people are experiencing accessibility challenges, I could not believe. We're not aware on the number, we're not aware uh, that not all disabilities are visible, and we tend to forget uh, that unfortunately at some point in our lives uh, we also experience one type or more of disabilities. Now the second challenge is to drive inclusion by design. Now. Uh, if you don't do that, you exclude people at products or services that you design. When you design a product without having in mind how a person uh, with dyslexia, for example, consumes content, then you exclude that community. So exclusion is a hard reality to accept in our modern society, I would say. And we do not assume. We should stop assuming we should include by design, I would say. These are the two probably challenges that we say we say are for uh, fourth and foremost uh, important to address at the first stage. Yeah, you know, and I remember when we were all preparing for this panel, you, you touched on the point that um, accessibility, I mean, disability can be both temporary and, and longer term or permanent, right? So I think the way that, that we have to approach this is sort of keeping both of those um, in mind. 
but Caspers would love to get your perspective here. Yeah, I will narrow it down because I represent language technology. So in our context, uh, uh, accessibility deals with uh, people accessing information, knowledge and services uh, in the digital realm. So that's, uh, that's what we deal. So this, 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 in this communication, uh, conversations, communication between, uh, between people, between people and businesses, between people and government, uh, between each other, of course, and uh, so, 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 uh, and we are focusing on uh, availability of those uh, assistive technologies uh, to people representing uh, uh, smaller communities, uh, smaller nations, uh, because uh, to, to the large extent, uh, uh, there is more out there for English speakers. There is more out there for, for, for uh, other large communities uh, and uh, smaller communities, uh, people with special needs in smaller communities des uh, deserve same uh, access to technology, same access to information, knowledge, and services. So Alina, I imagine, you know, given your position, you're very close to this. So what are some of the key challenges that you're seeing in, in Latvia? Yes, if we speak about Latvia, we have 200,000 people with disabilities in Latvia, which makes around 10% of the population. But I would like to specify that we speak here not about a specific diagnosis or disease. We speak about functioning limitations that are caused by some disease. And this may uh, also affect uh, any other person uh, with no administrative disability status. But one of the challenges, of course, is the possibility to use the new things, services, apply for services, receive answers, to be independent and lead their lives as they want to, uh, not uh, being forced to rely on some specific small doors behind the building, mm. on some specific uh, page where they might find information, to be able to, to operate on the same terms as everyone. And I would say, yes, the main question is not anymore, why do we need this? And what do we need, but how to do it? Mm -hmm. This is the main challenge currently. Sure. And Paul, is anything to add there? Uh, there's, uh, I think, Aline uh, uh, said, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I wanted to add, uh, when, I, when we are going uh, and see the uh, material world, and uh, we, we see the people with disabilities, they want to do the same we are doing, and that's the same in the digital world. Uh, they want to do the same we can do there. So, you know, for me, the big question is, um, wh what's the responsibility that needs to be taken by, you know, governmental bodies, municipalities, and industry players that can make a huge impact like Microsoft? You know, is it a public-private partnership? The answer, I, I think, is probably yes, but Alina, I'd, I'd love for you to weigh in on this. <laughs> Yes, uh, our task is, of course, to create the, the legal regulation, the, the framework uh, where 
do we operate, what are the requirements, what do we procure as services or goods when we do procure something, so that the business sector knows in advance what will be requested in next coming years. And here, of course, the Accessibility Act has made huge changes. Mm -hmm. It was adopted in 2019, and those last years have been very difficult and challenging also for member states themselves because the Accessibility Act actually is uh, very different from other directives where you might read very specific requirements. Here in the Accessibility Act you mostly read the end goals, the functionality that needs to be achieved. It does not prescribe uh, how you get the there, recipe. Right? Yeah, yeah, how yeah. do you land there? Yeah. And this is the challenge uh, to answer the question how. So currently the governments are, all of them, uh, doing the legal framework mm -hmm. establishment uh, process. Some of them are already further down the road and some of them not uh, very far, but uh, until 25 we need to be in the place where the legal acts are fully in place and business sector is ready to use them, to implement them, to apply them in their everyday life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Pauls, are, are you part of that, that recipe to, to get to that end goal? Uh, yeah, uh, my job is working uh, to work with uh, public sector, public uh, bodies uh, have these uh, websites and uh, mobile applications uh, which must be accessible. So uh, what we can do, uh, we, we, are, uh, uh, we will be happy to make uh, workshops and trainings together with business partners mm -hmm. for for private sector also, and also for end users. You know, a lot of peop uh, people don't know act actually what they can gain if, if the, if the, if the uh, website is accessible. Yeah, uh, they don't have uh, this experience at all. Sure. So, if if they if they would know this, the the the, the business possibilities would be much more bigger than. Sure, sure. Michalis, would love for you to weigh in on this as well. What, what's your perspective here? Look, first, first of all, let me. I'm very honest. We haven't met with the panelists before, but I was so moved to listen to Alina describing what uh, about the European Accessibility Act and what is our responsibility on that front. Because I think that the, both government and private sector needs to hold hands together. Um, I mean, this is something that we need to advance how the community will operate in the future. For us, it's a, it's a monumental change and an opportunity that we have to include everyone in the play. So what we're doing on our front, we're taking against those requirements to assure our products are fully compliant. And in many cases, we try to push further the envelope on accessibility as we have started years back on our own journey as, as a company, as Microsoft. Now, also, what also was mentioned before, we participate in the discussion. Uh, again, the Accessibility Act shows what you need to deliver, but not how to do it. So we need to hold hands together with local governmental bodies, with associations, uh, in order to land this uh, this directive and, and, and transposition, of course, uh, to, to uh, the final products. We see this as an opportunity to step change the future of accessibility. Um, and we also believe as a company that what happens today in Europe 
will continue to more countries. Uh, so what we do is we also share internally in, in, in the company the experience with our peers. And when we do changes in the products, we advance those changes worldwide. Yeah, that's that's a great perspective. Um, Casper, is anything to add as we kind of close yeah. this discussion? I, I, I will, uh, if I'm thinking about the role of, uh, of the government or the role of the public uh, institutions uh, to, to, to take care of accessibility, I think it's like at least threefold. Uh, number one is, is regulatory environment, including uh, also instruments uh, to support uh, uh, business side uh, in, 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 in uh, in developing, uh, in developing uh, those tools and technologies, because it it, it takes uh, it, it's actually quite costly, mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, no, since uh, uh, since since the com community itself cannot compensate for that, I mean uh, people with different needs, so we need to somehow find our joint forces in that regard as well. Second role I see is is government should lead by example. Yeah. Uh, I, I truly believe that uh, that uh, when we talk about uh, accessibility, we should start with the public sector. We should start with uh, uh, government institutions, uh, making sure and uh, demonstrating how uh, how this uh, should work in real life. Uh, and last but not least is 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 this uh, is this uh, partner partnering with 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 businesses in uh, and partnering with NGOs, uh, the organizations representing those people, uh, those groups of people with special needs, uh, to 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 have a, a common understanding, uh, having a, a common understanding of issues related to that, and then uh, jointly uh, finding solutions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad to hear that my esteemed colleagues agree with me that it's definitely a public-private partnership. Um, let's, let's move to sort of, you know, at the end of the day, proof is in the execution, right? And I'd love to hear from each of you um, some specific examples of what you're doing to address digital accessibility. So, Caspers, let, let's start with you there. Yeah, I will bring just a few examples. So, let me start. So, we represent uh, natural language processing technologies, uh, uh, machine translation, uh, speech recognition, voice synthesis, and uh, natural language understanding. So, basically, the, the intelligent, uh, look, it's, it's part of conversational AI, intelligent systems, uh, chatbots, uh, voice bots, and so. Uh, so, so uh, what we have done, uh, we have uh, developed, uh, together with partners, uh, we have developed uh, solutions uh, for people with uh, visibility uh, impairments and, and people with dyslexia. So, so those kind of desktop readers, book readers, we, so we have, uh, there is a system called Bruno Master that is, uh, uh, provides for reading actually printed books. Uh, it, it reads it out loud, uh, page by page. Uh, so so the, the, there is equipment associated to, it, to that as well. Second uh, area is related to speech recognition, so people with hearing impairments. Um, so we have uh, provided technologies for uh, real-time uh, captioning, uh, uh, for subtitles, Titling of uh, uh, audio and video content. Uh, so th this this is and and last but not least, our chatbots are also uh, helping people who cannot, with physical disabilities, uh, also with uh, with uh, with speaking problems, uh, uh, they can communicate uh, with uh, government uh, institutions, with uh, businesses, uh, so they can receive the support. So we have a lot of solutions, but those are just few to be mentioned. Yeah, well, that's quite a bit, and um, you know, facilitating that communication is mission critical. To sort of complete the perspective from the private sector, I, I know, Michaelis, Microsoft's doing some incredible things here. 
Uh, I know the company's been focused on accessibility for many, many, many years. Um, but can you can you cite some some recent examples of things that the company's been working on? Yeah, I, I will say, uh, to be honest, I, I will try to address the accessibility journey uh, because I think, I mean, everyone knows uh, the features, uh, the many features that we have in our products and services. I mean, looking at Teams, looking at uh, Microsoft 365, you have more than 100 and 150 um, accessibility features. I can take the Windows 11 example with uh, tons of accessibility features that we update continuously. But I think the, the essence for us is how to strengthen the ecosystem. So for us, number one priority is to raise awareness about the issue at scale. And we do start with ourselves. I think you see uh, the badge that I have on the, on, on the back of myself. So we are having a training that is mandatory for all employees uh, when they join Microsoft to have an accessibility training. This is one of the mandatory things that we ask everyone to take. Um, and also we continue the learning uh, with a, a badge on accessibility. So complementary learning. Uh, and we compete with each other. We compete be behind the, be between the regions, the countries, on what is the, the accessibility achievement that we had uh, with our employees. Um, because we want really to drive awareness about the issue and we want to drive awareness of what, what it is and how to solve it. Now, the second one is we try to ensure that internal and external engagements are accessible, meetings, events, websites, um, and definitely support this, our partners on how to drive similarly accessible uh, events and, and websites and, and, and services, I would say. Um, we also have suppliers. We have prerequisites with our suppliers on, on having an accessibility agenda and uh, having accessible features in, in their services that they deliver to Microsoft. And of course, I think the important for us is to design products with accessibility in mind from the start. So following inclusive design principles. So we have a disabled community being part of our product development teams. We have testers on that front. So we are actually designing within, within the community, with the community, I would say. And the last one is what has been mentioned before, help our customers to progress their accessibility journey, um, having executive briefings, hackathons together on accessibility to try to solve real life problems that we see happening in the communities. We educate them. But at the same time, we learn from them, with, from their questions, from their challenges that they face. So these are a few areas, not about the features per se, which is actually the outcome of all those actions that we take as a company. Right. You know, and, you know, I, before I became an analyst, I spent 30 years in corporate America and uh, worked for companies like Dell and Compact Computer. And it was always mission critical to get that customer feedback and input to refine the product, whether it was a consumer PC or a commercial um, you know, desktop or notebook computer. And what impresses me about Microsoft is you focus on that, you know, you're actually collecting that input from people with disabilities and using that to build um, mm. viable products and, and to build out your roadmap. So completely impressive and please continue that work. It's, it's, it's very important. But let's get the, the sort of the citizen service perspective. Alina, let's start with you, specifically in Latvia. Can you provide some examples of what you're doing? I would divide this in two parts. Uh, besides the directive and the law itself, uh, what we do as a ministry, as a policymaker, and as an administrative body. Of course, if we want to prescribe some mandatory procedures for the private sector, we have to comply with them ourselves. So this uh, goes both to the 
web page, meetings and events. Uh, we have a checklist uh, when we organize events, what uh, should be ensured, and this includes not only physical uh, accessibility, but also hearing loops, uh, subtitles, uh, deaf language interpreter, and etc. Mm -hmm. And uh, meetings uh, by now, we have also cooperated with TILDE, uh, provi uh, providing the um, subtitles or the separate screen with the speech-to-text uh, possibility, which actually was not very easy because the Auditory usually requests something like a velotypist uh, service that is available in uh, other European languages. In Latvian language, it was not uh, recently very common here as a small language here. Mm. But besides that, we have also a national program uh, for assistive technologies, devices provided for people with disabilities. And this includes not only functional beds and physical uh, disability goods, but also technologies, programs, communication devices, um, applications and pictograms, tyflotechnics and such things. They are not very broadly requested, I must admit. Uh, mostly probably because the skills of the target group are not up to that level, right. which means that this is also a domain where we should invest our efforts to, mm -hmm. to, to make them uh, capable of using what we provide to them. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah. it's that digital literacy. And, yeah. and there's a huge gap when you just look broadly at the digital divide and you know parts of the world that are unconnected. Like, you know, in my home country, um, there are efforts to bring connectivity into these um, underserved communities. A lot of them are socioeconomically um, disadvantaged. But then what happens when you provide that connectivity how do people know how to use mm. or even have access to devices? Uh, if well? I may add, I think this, this, uh, the subject of uh, uh, developing uh, digital skills in society is very, very topical uh, here uh, in Latvia, but not only. Mm. But I, I think uh, we tend to forget that uh, we have to be inclusive also thinking about digital skills development. So, so we have to also introduce methods, tools and ways of people with special needs can learn uh, the, uh, uh, those new things, you know, new technologies and using, yeah, yeah. so, so those, to improve their digital skills. Absolutely, it's mission critical. Paul, I don't want to leave you out of this topic before we move on, but what are some examples that, that you and your, 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 your ministry is focused on? Yeah. Thank you, Kasper. So you actually you told about uh, speech recognition and uh, chatbots. This is uh, made uh, actually together with the public sector and uh, I wanted to mention that uh, there is a, a, a build a unified web platform for uh, public institutions and uh, this is a tool that um, allows uh, to create websites for institutions and um, this uh, unified web platform has uh, accessibility fe features uh, by design. So there is uh, easier for institutions to meet accessibility requirements, and uh, I, I wanted to, to add that uh, this is very uh, uh, important uh, 
that uh, we communicate with NGOs and we want to um, uh, be a part of this uh, community, make this stable uh, community of the people who is uh, aware of accessibility. Mm -hmm. And Alina, you touched on the European Accessibility Act, right? And um, I understand that um, by 2025, it will um, be fully put in place. Um, can you kind of just speak to, speak to that very broadly and then touch on what you're doing within your organization to ensure compliance? And then I'd like to ask the same of the other panelists as well. Oh yeah, uh, since uh, 2019, the Accessibility Act is in force and uh, it uh, covers uh, both goods and services. And uh, the spheres covered by the directive is uh, quite large actually. Mm -hmm. Computers, self-service terminals, e-books, e-readers, banking services, e-commerce, um, emergency phone calls like 112, public procurement procedures as well, air, bus, rail and waterway passenger transportation services, consumer terminals and electronic communication services like routers and modems, and also consumer terminals for audiovisual media services and audiovisual media services in uh, like um, it was mentioned already, subtitles, audio descriptions, hybrid television websites and so on. Uh, which means that the responsibility is uh, broadly scattered among different line ministries. There was no one single ministry who could uh, take care of all of uh, sectors covered by the directive. Mm -hmm. So in Latvia, uh, we finally designed a separate law. Uh, we did not make amendments to existing laws but drafted a new law on goods and services accessibility. And additionally, we did uh, amendments to some laws, uh, which was not possible to implement into this new law. The law is currently submitted to the parliament. Uh, since we have a rather new government, it's adopted in the first reading by the previous parliament and now we are expecting the second reading and further discussions in the parliament soon. So the law needs to be in place as soon as possible uh, to be sure that the business sector is aware what is requested and prescribed in uh, our laws. The law prescribes also the uh, claiming procedures, uh, what happens if you don't comply, mm -hmm. who is responsible for that. Uh, the individual should know how and where they may submit their claims and the uh, business sector needs to know how uh, those situations are dealt with. And I can already say that there are uh, no fines for that. Uh, usually it will be solved by uh, communication and consultation procedures and uh, a request to do some additional, um, mm, to make the things available. Sure. If it was not before, so you need to do the required applications and uh, devices uh, so that person can use them. Uh, Finally, if it's not uh, 
done, then uh, there might follow some administrative acts, uh, which requested as a mandatory procedure to comply the not complied previously thing right. by the date X. Right. Yeah. You know, um, it is quite extensive, and it's going to take time to implement, obviously. Um, from my perspective and scenarios that I've been involved in, similar scenarios, it's almost, uh, it's maybe a better approach to provide incentives um, for people to accelerate compliance versus the carrot versus the stick, I guess, is where I'm going with that. But, but Paul, is anything to add? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it concerns the web, uh, websites which are I'm working with, too. Uh, uh, I wanted to add that uh, we have uh, prepared gu uh, guidelines for website uh, accessibility monitoring and sh we can share these uh, guidelines with the um, private sector as well, uh, uh, as much as uh, a concern uh, to me. Uh, but uh, uh, according to the European uh, Accessibility Act, I wanted to add that as, uh, uh, as far as we are speaking about websites and mobile uh, applications, um, there is another directive which um, uh, applies to uh, public uh, sector, and uh, this uh, directive um, uh, will be actually uh, as well. Uh, uh, um, it it uh, should be. Uh, uh, used uh, for uh, private sector as uh, for the c concerns this um, uh, uh, passenger transport services and so on because mm -hmm. these companies for example Airbus and uh, rail or waterborne and, uh, companies they, their w websites and uh, mobile applications must be accessible uh, according to this, um, these guidelines, which we are calling uh, uh, WCAG uh, guidelines. And uh, so, uh, yeah, these two, two uh, European acts uh, goes together. Yeah, it's, um, it's quite a complicated yeah. scenario to solve. Um, Caspers, you know, w what is Tildy doing, you know, with respect to um, moving towards that compliance for EAA? Well, the, the main thing, I, because we are doing a lot of things, but uh, one thing I want to mention uh, that we are, uh, we are doing for all Baltic markets is we are preparing for June 28th of uh, 2025, which will be the date uh, starting uh, from which uh, all electronic uh, media uh, has to provide subtitling. Uh, real-life subtitling for all its content that is broadcasted. So, which means, uh, and, and, and real-time subtitling is, is quite a challenging task. That's, we, 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 uh, we make a difference between captioning, which is uh, what, what Elena was referring to, which is like you, you get the full text uh, transcripts, uh, and subtitling means that those, uh, those texts are divided by sentences, segmented, they are adjusted to the screen, what, uh, to the video, and so on and so forth. So it's quite a challenging task, uh, mm -hmm. again, uh, for uh, complex languages like Latvian, Estonian, Lithuanian, uh, Polish, uh, Finnish that we work with. So, so, so we are preparing for that. Yeah. 
Uh, Michaelis, um, can you provide some examples of what Microsoft is doing to move towards compliance? Well, first of all, we, we start uh, with our own, uh, let's say, tools uh, that we are using. Um, I would say that uh, we had, a, and I, I like Paul mentioned about the accessible websites. Three years ago, we started a journey in order to make all, all of our websites worldwide accessible. And everyone was green, was happy, and red. Why? Because we had uh, the website uh, guidelines being uh, um, much more harder to fill. So I would say accessibility is not a zero or one. Accessibility, it's a continuum. And uh, we are making uh, the accessibility standards harder to meet internally and definitely provide accessibility uh, features in our products um, much more than in the past. So I would say we turn uh, probably features every month uh, on our products. Uh, and this is something that is really big, um, a big work for our engineering teams, I would say. Sure. Uh, the second one, I would say looking for the future. Right? By the way, do you hear me well, guys? Yes, we can hear you now. Okay, okay. So the second one, which I think is more forward looking, is how we can amp the game through our ecosystem. Microsoft is providing technology and uh, solutions uh, for our customers to develop, but uh, we rely a lot on our a big network of partners. Um, and I think this is what uh, we need to do probably in the future to collect uh, all those accessibility features that uh, the partners are building based on Microsoft technology and, and help this to amplify the game, I would say. For us, uh, might be an opportunity in the future, and this is something that we need to work on towards uh, landing the European Accessibility Act. So not only about our technology, but also what we do together with our ecosystem. Sure, sure. No, I, I totally agree. And so um, as we wrap up the conversation, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't bring 5G into the conversation. <laughs> um, I, uh, I write on Forbes, and I write quite a bit about 5G and the use cases, and really, um, 5G brings a lot of what I call superpowers, and at some point I'm going to mm. record a video about the 5G superpowers, but when you look at the ultra-low latency, when you look at the throughput, when you look at the massive device support, I'm just wondering, and Michaelis, I'd, I'd like to start with you, um, where do you think 5G can really sort of take digital accessibility for the disabled, both people with temporary disablements and permanent disablements, to the next level? Yeah, I, I think we need to, to see it in the broader context of, of living, I would say. Technology, since a few decades now, is not a privilege of the few. It's not used for specific, well-defined purposes. It is used everywhere, at work and at home. It encapsulates the way we live and helps us uh, to live a fullest, uh, more meaningful life. Mm -hmm. Now, I think vision, the, vi <laughs> the vision can be a lot of things. Uh, people can use it in many areas. An example, wayfinding for people with disabilities, moving and navigating more independently in an area where 5G is going to benefit them. For example, people who are blind are now using a white cane or services animal, but imagine 5G connected smart glasses paired with a smartphone, which can give them a power of the artificial intelligence and give a person real-time audio feedback to help navigate in a store or in the city. So I think we will see in the future a lot of applications based on 5G and artificial intelligence and how that helps people with disabilities, not only in their work, but also in personal life as well. 
Yeah, you know, um, you talked about wayfinding, so that, that becomes a massive IoT, narrowband IoT, 5G supports, you know, just a quantum level more devices than LTE. And then sort of, you know, the, the, the vision, you know, sort of use case you were speaking to, that requires ultra low latency. Um, standalone 5G mobile networks will deliver it. Casper's, you know, the same question for yeah, you. Yeah, a very quick answer since we are running out of time. I believe yeah. in our case, it's it's all about connectivity, connectivity between devices that people are using yeah. as assistive uh, no, as assistive technology uh, and and speed of exchange of data. So we can provide uh, all the technologies uh, in real almost in real time. So that's that's yeah. very very important that we can move large chunks of data around very quickly so those technologies can really work right. uh, to, to their full extent uh, sure. when used on those devices. Yeah. That's probably our perspective. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. And Alina and Pauls, I don't want to put you on the spot because you're not necessarily technologist, although you might be, but I know that you, know, you work very closely with the, the, the carriers here in Latvia, LMT and others. I mean, do you see 5G unlocking anything special? Yes, uh, I would like to underline that one sector where we see it might uh, have a good impact is uh, long-term care uh -huh. and home care services where uh, we all face a lack of uh, workers, but there are certain things where you can replace the carer as a person uh, and use a technology instead. Uh, there is assisted living and smart homes uh, element uh, that is not very broadly used currently in Latvia and we will have a structural fund supported measure in coming years where we very much expect the private sector cooperate with the social service providers to create such innovative solutions in the long-term care and the home care sector. I love it, I love it. Well, that concludes the panel discussion. I want to thank my esteemed colleagues for a a very insightful discussion. I loved how we got both the public and the private perspectives on this. Ernest, I'm going to hand it um, over to you. I think we've got a poll question, and we may have some Q&A, right? Yeah, we had a poll question, and uh, it, about, it was about uh, awareness of the contents of uh, European Accessibility Act. Hmm. Drum roll, the 67% are aware okay, of the contents, but still 33 are not quite there yet. Okay. So. <laughs> we got to work on that. There, there's work to be done. <laughs> and, uh, well, do we have questions from audience? Any questions? Did we do that great of a job? I believe yeah, we did. There's uh, <laughs> no online questions also. So. All right. Yeah. Well, um, thank you again. You can actually, maybe you can have one or two since we uh, have questions, some time. yeah, yeah. Are so maybe some maybe some final thoughts. So, Michalis, any any final thoughts as we wrap things up? Uh, I would say that the first and foremost, I think we need the, to address this together. I would say, for me, uh, being part of uh, a technology conference, the topic of accessibility, I think this is what I would love love to see more and more. It's not Microsoft. All the firepower that Microsoft and every other company can put together, it will never be able to solve uh, this uh, challenge or opportunity. Um, I think we working with governments, with working with our partners ecosystem, even the competition, we need to work together on that uh, in order to solve and, and make a disability divide something that we will look at the past and we say, okay, we went along the way, a very long way, but we managed to, to close the gap. I think it takes an army for that. And uh, looking forward to partner uh, with other
communities uh, around uh, closing the disability divide. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think, you know, with companies like Tildy and, and Microsoft, the more companies that are focused on this issue, the more innovation that's going to come up. And, and as, you know, companies like Microsoft and Tildy lean into 5G as those, as those uh, networks get deployed, I think we're going to see just continued innovation. I mean, competition breeds innovation in, in the private sector, and I think it can do that for, for digital accessibility for the disabled as well. I, 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 I love uh, what Michaelis was saying, because uh, just as we speak, uh, we are actually discussing with Microsoft and joining forces in one uh, very interesting idea that uh, we came up with, which is uh, to introduce uh, speech recognition as a technology for kids at school, for school pupils, uh, so that uh, the kids who have hearing impairments uh, can actually follow uh, what's, what's, uh, what's going on in the class by very simple means. Uh, actually, the teacher having a microphone on and the kids having either a screen and a monitor or a monitor in front of them or interactive uh, board in front of them, or actually they can also follow it on their mobile devices if allowed in a class. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and we are currently working on uh, finding a pilot school. Uh, we have a discussion tomorrow, by the way, with your colleagues, Michaelis. If we will find the and when we will find the, fin uh, the pilot school and we will do the pilot, I hope the results will be impressive. So we will take this and go to the government, <laughs> or not, not present here, to the Ministry of Education and Science, right. uh, introducing this idea not only in Latvia but also across uh, across Central Eastern Europe. So that's that's our new project, new initiative, exciting. and I'm happy to be part uh, partnering with uh, with Microsoft in that. That's exciting. I'm I'm hoping at the next 5G Techratory we can hear the result of that, that proof of concept. But uh, Paul, is any, any final thoughts as we close the panel? I like very much what, what Michal has said, and yeah, this uh, must be inclusive by design, otherwise it will be exclusive. Yeah. But I want to add that uh, it's very imp important how uh, do you develop this um, uh, content every day? How do you put it? Uh, in the web, yeah, you must uh, think this, uh, about this every day, not just once when you are uh, developing the software. It's dynamic, it's not static, right? So it has to live and breathe and yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, sure. Elena, final thought? Yes, uh, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, one thing I want to mention is uh, use everywhere where possible the user perspective. Uh, even when drafting the law, we could not rely on our knowledge. This was not the case where we were the main players. So we did cooperate both with the associations from the private sector and also with the NGOs, uh, how to create all this. And I think this applies also to the new solutions that will be created when implementing the the new uh, services and goods after 25. And when I was coming here, I looked up the impact assessment commission made before the Accessibility Act was adopted. Uh, and I was looking, looking up specifically what was the uh, experience uh, by the business sector as regards the increase of uh, customers afterwards they uh, introduced some new uh, things that are accessible and actually 
7% of them uh, responded that the number of customers ex uh, increased by 7%, then 19% said significantly, and 28 stated that uh, slightly increased. So, which, which means that uh, we have more than half of the respondents from the business sector see an increase in number of customers after they make their things more yeah. available, sure. which makes a business case, I think. It yeah. does. It's very encouraging that we're on the right track, right? For sure. Well, with that, Ernest, I'm going to hand it back to you.